0: So much theology in the last two songs we sang today, Amazing Grace and It Is Well With My Soul. And in the middle of this, we're actually chapter-wise, a third of the way through Daniel as we come to Daniel chapter 4. When we get to the end of Daniel chapter 4, we are more than halfway through the life of the prophet Daniel. So this is well into the life. Remember, the first six chapters cover his entire life. And the next six chapters are his life of ministry, of prophecy, of telling us the future in advance. So when we think of amazing grace, that was my thought. I didn't know you were going to sing that song today, but I thought a king repents could be amazing grace. That could have been the name of the title of this message. where are in a time where God's chosen people have become so disobedient that the most wicked, authoritative, powerful king on earth has been sent to punish them by God. And we read in 2 Chronicles that it is God sending Nebuchadnezzar, even Nebuchadnezzar having an awareness that it is God sending him to punish the people of Judah, the, the people who Jesus would one day descend from. And in the middle of this book, we see the heart of God for an individual. We see a person who, if we said, who do you want to be saved tomorrow, and you, and you knew Nebuchadnezzar, he probably wouldn't make your list. And if you said, who would you want God to punish tomorrow, Nebuchadnezzar might be at the top of your list. But one of the things that is in the amazing grace of the God who saves us is that there is no amount of wickedness that can happen in a person's life that God will stop loving them and wanting to save them. So we see that grace poured over this chapter as Nebuchadnezzar himself gives his testimony here. And we also see the picture of conversion in the middle of the Old Testament and what what actually needs to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life for God's grace to flow into his life. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, part of each of our story is in Nebuchadnezzar's story. There was a day where we heard truth. There was a day where we believed truth. There was a day where we responded to truth and repented. And there was a day where we said, "'It is well with my soul. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.'" So help us to appreciate the conversion of this powerful, wicked king. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin the the book of Daniel, chapter 4, and what we have here is a correspondence and a letter of Nebuchadnezzar sitting down and writing out his testimony, giving it to the prophet Daniel. This entire chapter is written in Aramaic which was the king's language, and Daniel takes his letter and he incorporates (coughs) God's truth into this letter so that he explains it to us. And in real time, basically from what is being described here is an eight-year time period that all happens within this one chapter in the Bible, and it ends up being the conversion of this king named Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is writing a letter of his testimony to the world. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So he is giving us uh, an introduction to this chapter here. The story that he is gonna tell us in this chapter covers an eight-year period of time, and at the end of that eight years, when he has repented and he has chosen to follow God with his life, That's how he begins this letter. It is my pleasure, nations of the world, to describe to you the signs and the miraculous wonders that God did towards my life so that now before you today I can acknowledge him as the most high God, the God who rules over all the kingdoms of the earth and the God who has dominion and authority over me and every other king. As he is giving these first three verses to us, we will learn that at the end of this time period, he is speaking in those three verses from a place that is elevated above every place he's been in his life. He has been a king for 30-some years at the beginning of this chapter, and at the end his kingdom is restored shortly after repentance, and he is elevated higher than he's ever been before. And from that place, he begins the chapter telling us, there is a God in heaven who is so much greater than I am. His dominion rules over me and everyone else, and I acknowledge him as Lord. That's his testimony. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. We've heard this language before back in Daniel chapter 2 when, Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that lays out history from Nebuchadnezzar's day to the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation, and he's terrified. That dream is about 32 years ago now. So keep that in perspective. It's been 32 years since he had a vision from God During those 32 years, he has become more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. And now, from this elevated state, the most powerful man on earth has another dream. Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. The most powerful man on earth is terrified by dreams. He's afraid to close his eyes at night. Verse 6, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. What has happened here is Daniel's the prime minister, and he has been for some years. He's been elevated to... Second in command, meaning he's the commander of the kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar is his boss, his monarch, his king over him. So the, the, the makeup of the magi, if you want to call them, the same people that would have came to see Jesus at his birth, now doesn't include Daniel because Daniel is in command. So he brings all of the magicians, all of the enchanters, all of the astrologers, and like his dream in chapter 2, nobody can explain it to him. And while Daniel is going about the business and he comes to report to the king, the king remembers. He he goes back 32 years, and he remembers that Daniel is the mystery revealer on earth. So verse 8, Finally Daniel came into my presence, And I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is on him. He is telling us uniquely in this verse. He is walking us through his testimony. We remember, if we go back 35 years from this moment, he acknowledged the unique giftedness of these four young boys that came from Judah, that they're from a different God. And he believes that. About three years after that, he has this amazing vision of this golden statue of which he is the head that gives history in advance from that moment on. Daniel comes to him, I'm going to tell you what you have dreamed because God has revealed it to me. I'm going to interpret it to you because God has revealed it to me. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is put back as a king and he says, Everyone needs to acknowledge that Daniel's God is the God of gods. He sees that in chapter 1. He sees that in chapter 2. A few years after that, many years before this, almost two decades before this, he throws three boys into, three men into the, the fiery furnace because they won't acknowledge him as God. And he sees a theophany. He sees... Jesus Christ, in a human form, in the flames, delivering these three boys that won't even smell like smoke when they come out of the fire. He believes in chapter 1. He believes in chapter 2. He believes in chapter 3. But he still tells us in chapter 4 that Belteshazzar is his God. So he names, or actually, Bel is his God... He named Daniel in chapter 1 Belteshazzar because it is one who serves Bel. So he is telling us here, it's kind of like when Jacob went to get a wife, when he left because Esau was going to kill him, and he meets Christ in a theophany as he is on the way there at Bethel. And he tells Jesus, if you will go with me, if you will provide for me, if you will watch over me, You will not only be the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but you'll be my God too. And that's when Jacob makes Yahweh his God. This is the chapter where that will happen with Nebuchadnezzar, but it's an important part of his testimony here that at this time, that even though he has seen and believed the truth multiple times, his God is Belteshazzar. Verse 9, I said, Belteshazzar, or excuse me, his God is Bel. Daniel is named Belteshazzar. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the, the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery. Again, the, the word mystery in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. In the Old Testament, it is Daniel, something that is hidden in God, but will now be revealed. So he says, no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw, while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass, in the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times, and times is always a year, so seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that, this is the purpose, we will see this statement over and over again, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. His kingdom is going to be run for the next seven years by Daniel when this happens. Verse 18, This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had now, Belteshazzar, Tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. We can see metaphorically, pretty accurately, just from reading the vision, what is happening here. Nebuchadnezzar is the provider and ruler over the earth, appointed by God. God is going to cut him down, but not kill him. So when Isaiah sees a vision of what's going to happen to Israel in Isaiah 6, he says to God, um, after God says to him, tell this people, be ever hearing but never perceiving, be ever seeing but never understanding, Um, make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, make their eyes so they can't see, or else they would turn and I would heal them. Isaiah says, for how long? He says, till the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are deserted, the, s- the fields ruined and ravaged, and the Lord has sent everyone far away. But then he says, but as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps in the land, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So the stump is the remnant of belief in the nation of Israel, and here the stump is, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to kill you now, I'm going to punish you now, and I'm going to let my kindness bring you to repentance. And because he knows the outcome, it's been 35 years since he took Daniel captive. Daniel has gone from this 14-year-old boy to approaching 50 now as this story begins. And Nebuchadnezzar has heard the truth and seen the truth in Daniel, for 35 years and multiple times he has said I know that's true I know that your God is the right God I know that you have the holy gods in you and the spirit of him is in you but this is the day of judgment for Nebuchadnezzar because God knows the outcome he's not going to kill him he's going to leave him until he repents turn to Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at different pictures of repentance. We're going to primarily look at his counterpart, his contemporary, Ezekiel, as he preaches the gospel in Ezekiel 33. But we see the same gospel that Ezekiel and Daniel are preaching as we read the book of Romans. So Romans 1 and 2 is effectively about all the lost people on the earth, and that those who repent and those who refuse to repent. We pick it up in verse 4. He is speaking to the Jews, but he says here, "...or do you show contempt for the riches of the kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to bring you to repentance?" So Dave read this verse in Sunday school, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So you can have, and according to Jesus in Matthew 7, most people that come to God come with worldly sorrow. God, I'm genuinely sorry for my sins. I want to be forgiven. I want you to cleanse me of my sins. Please cleanse me. What Paul is saying here, and what he is saying in 2 Corinthians 7.10, that if your sorrow is godly, it will bring you to your knees. When Jesus gives us a picture of repentance in the Bible, he takes us into a pig pen and he finds the prodigal son. And this is a parable. So it is Jesus saying, this is what repentance looks like. And the prodigal son says, I know what I will do. I will get up and I will go back to my father. And I will say to my father, I am no longer worthy to be your son, but I will be your servant because I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you Can I serve you? Jesus says that's the picture of repentance. So Paul says in Romans 2.4 that it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. See, from, from the earth's point of view, we say, do I have to repent? From heaven's point of view, he says, I want to give you everything. Repent. If we can see it from God's perspective, it's not a duty to repent. It's a joy. It is well with my soul. It is amazing grace that he would save a wretch like me if I would come on his terms. Reading on, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. The verses the kids quoted this morning are coming into play so much here. If we choose his path, we won't be condemned. If we don't, we stand condemned already, John 3.18. We are storing up wrath, Paul says here. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Not what they have believed, but what they have done. Have they repented? Have they chosen to follow Christ? If you explain to a child, and a child does understand. What does God want you to do? He wants you to follow Jesus. Guess what? What do you say to an adult? He wants you to follow Jesus. Like Wayne asked that question this morning. Am I inviting him to come with me, or am I invited to come with him? And when I choose to come with him, then godly sorrow has led me to repentance. Verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. What if I have one minute? I'm the man on the cross. I give him one minute. What if I have 50 years? I give him 50 years. I'm choosing a persistent path that is promised to lead to eternal life. And if I choose that path, somehow from heaven, he can give eternal life right now when I choose that path. Verse 7, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But... For those who are self-seeking, that's Nebuchadnezzar where we find him in chapter 4, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Remember the evil do not want to come into the light. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He is to simplify these seven verses here. Choose the path I set before you. Eternal life, glory, honor, my kingdom, yours. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Wrath and anger and judgment. Turn back to Daniel chapter 4. There was no theological intent to his song, by the way. I was just using his word. Daniel chapter 4. He has given to Daniel the vision that he has seen. Daniel, while he is listening to Nebuchadnezzar, understands what God has told him. And he's terrified to tell the king. Verse 19, Then Daniel, called, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. Bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground, Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years, will pass by until you acknowledge, here's the second time we see this statement, the Most High is sovereign over all. What's another way to say that according to Paul? Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. That is what Nebuchadnezzar is being demanded of. So the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. I want to read that again, because Daniel is a watchman here. What I am called to be from this pulpit is a watchman. And we're going to see a definition of a watchman in the book of Ezekiel. But here is Daniel preaching the gospel, telling Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful king, You need to repent, verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. What's another word for that? Repent. And your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. in Ezekiel chapter 33, being written about the same time as the book of Daniel, happening in real, real time as with the book of Daniel. Understand, we, I referred to these verses in Sunday school. When Jesus raises from the dead, he comes to his disciples. The the. Cleopas and his partner have just come from walking to Emmaus and back to Jerusalem, and they come in and and Jesus steps in among them. I won't give you the whole context of what he is saying, but at one point he says to them, this is what is written, Luke 24, 46, the Messiah will suffer and rise on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are my witnesses. And he's sending them out. This is the great commission. That without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins. So when a person accepts whatever truth is in front of them, that's all God asks. Whether it's a child hearing that Jesus says, let the children come to me. If they respond to that and they keep moving forward, at some point, Repentance will be necessary for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter 15, where the prodigal son is earlier, he uses two parables, and at the end of the first parable, he says, There is rejoicing in heaven among the angels for every sinner that repents than there is for the 99 who do not need to repent. Question, is there anyone that doesn't need to repent? Luke 15, 7. No, what is he saying? He's saying that the one person who says, I repent, sets off a celebration in heaven. A child has come home. My lost sheep is here. The prodigal son is home. We have the picture of this undignified picture of the father and the prodigal son running as an old man towards this child, wrapping his arms around this smelly, pig-infested son, saying, get a robe, get a ring, kill the fatted calf. He is running towards a person. It is Romans 4, 2, or 2.4, the kindness of God that says, repent, come home. But like Paul says in the following verses in Romans 2, if a person seeks their own path, All there can be is wrath and judgment. So Ezekiel is the watchman, verse 7 of Ezekiel 33, that Daniel is in the same territory at the same time. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. What does that mean, Lord? So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked... You wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, like Daniel just did. That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. What is he saying there? Is he saying Ezekiel's going to hell if he doesn't preach the truth to them? No, he is saying that when you meet me, Ezekiel, if I send you to people to tell them to repent and you don't go, they will be in hell and I will hold you accountable. So Paul says something very similar to this in Acts chapter 20 when he is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I have not failed to share with you the whole will of God. Ezekiel is being told the exact same thing that Paul is being told. Reading on verse verse nine, but if you do warn the wicked person to turn to repent from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Your blood, their blood, will not be on your hands. Verse ten. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is, what you, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and our sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. These are the exact same two words that Abraham has given. So sovereign Lord here is Adonai Yahweh. Abraham has believed in God for years, two and a half decades. And in Genesis chapter 15, he comes to God, and we see for the first time in the Bible the name Adonai. What is Adonai? It is master, ruler, king. What is the purpose that Nebuchadnezzar has to learn? That the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms. Ezekiel is preaching here that Adonai Yahweh comes on those terms. Confess him as Adonai, Paul. Confess him as Lord, as Kyrios. The same exact language. Verse 11, say to them, as surely as as I live declares Adonai Yahweh, I take no, listen to this, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Listen to what the heart of God is saying here. You are sacrificing babies in Judah. You are worshiping Tammuz. You are putting Jupiter in the holy place where I told you only my name will be forever. You are desecrating my relationship to you and you're showing it to the world. But I want you to know my heart. None of you escapes my love. None of you. I take zero pleasure for the most vile of you to spend eternity in hell. My son is coming to pay for all of your sins. And it is my heart's desire that you turn and repent because I love you no matter what you have done. Verse 12. Therefore, son of man, say to the people, if someone who is righteous disobeys, that person's former righteousness will count for nothing. Listen to this. And if someone who is wicked repents, that person's former wickedness will not bring condemnation. The righteous person whose sins will not be allowed to live even though they were formerly righteous. In other words, they did some good things, but listen to verse 13, this is key. If I tell a righteous person that they will surely live, but they trust in what? Their righteousness. If a person says, and this is what the world is saying, this is what every person, this is what you and I said in some way when we first heard that we needed to repent. I'm not a bad person. I love people. I love my family. I haven't really hurt anyone. God says, if I come to you and say, you will live, and you say, okay, I will rely on my righteousness, then I can't let you live. The righteousness of God is so enormous and so overflowing that he wants to just give you some of it, no matter how wicked you are. This message and studying it this week is so encouraging to me. It is so easy for me, I don't know about you, to think, Man, look at the mistakes I've made. Man, why did I, why this, why that? Why did I wait so long? Why did it take me so long to to say, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do? And God is saying here, understand my love, not your wickedness. That it takes, it, it gives me no pleasure to punish you. That it gives me great joy to share with you everything that I have. So verse 13, if a righteous person, if I tell a righteous person they will surely live, but they trust in their righteousness and do evil, none of the righteous things that that person has done will be remembered. They will die for the evil they have done. And if I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, that's what Jonah was told to tell the people in Nineveh, and he didn't want to tell them. That's so what Daniel was told to tell Nebuchadnezzar, and we just read that he told him. But then they turn away from their sin and do what is just and right. If they give back the pledge for the loan, return what they have stolen, follow the decrees that give life, and do no evil, that person will surely live and not die. None of the sins that that person has committed will be remembered against them they have done what is just and right. They will surely live. It's interesting in Luke 19 where Zacchaeus comes down and Jesus tells him he needs to be saved and he says, I give back everything that I have taken and, and if there's anything more, that I, I will give back four times what I have given and Jesus ame- immediately says, salvation has come to this house. So when we read Luke chapter 3 and and John the Baptist is saying to people, you need to repent. What does it mean for me? Well, if you're a soldier, here's what it means. If you're a tax collector, here's what it means. If you're a farmer, here's what it means. You need to stop doing what you were doing and you need to follow Christ. Turn back to Daniel chapter 4. We jump forward in time now, 12 months. from what we have read so far. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Notice the personal pronouns. Verse 31, even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, this is what was decreed for you. Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, the, here's the third time we've heard it, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Twelve months passed by. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has once in the 35 years to this point said, your God's a liar. Your God's not sovereign. Your God's not the true God. But when repentance hasn't happened, it is so easy in 12 months' time for him to be begin to say, look what I've done, look what I've become. Christians in his position, I think, are just, as, just about as susceptible. We think of David, if we went to 2 Samuel chapter 11, um, the chapter begins, at a time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. And because he stayed home, instead of going off to war, he's walking around his palace, looking at his kingdom, and he sees Bathsheba, someone he wouldn't have seen if he was where he was supposed to be. And that moment leads to sin in David's life. It leads to murder in David's life. We go to Second Chronicles chapter 21, another time where That has passed. David, who is a born-again Christian, has been king for a time period again, and he says to Joab, go out and count the army just to see how big it is. And 70,000 people die because of God's punishment on David. The difference between Nebuchadnezzar and David, let's go to Psalm 32 and look at, look at the difference between a Christian, or in David's case, a born-again person, who is doing the same things as Nebuchadnezzar. In Psalm chapter 32, that is one of two psalms that is written in response to David's repentance. The repentance described in 1 John chapter 1 is for you and I. It's for those who follow Christ to be continuously made right with him. So David in Psalm 32, after 12 months, just like basically Nebuchadnezzar, he has gone without repenting. Nebuchadnezzar is a lost person, so at the end of the 12 months, he's just feeling full of himself. He's saying, I, me, my, look what I have done. Listen to what 12 months is like for a person who has the Holy Spirit, has God as a relationship. Verse 1, first of all, he talks about the assurity of salvation, which Paul quotes these verses in Romans 4. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. So first of all, David begins this chapter by saying, it's awesome to know that during this whole time I was on my way to heaven. But listen to what life is like for a Christian in sin. Verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The difference between Nebuchadnezzar in our story and David is David says, if you're a Christ follower and you're in sin, You're miserable. The Holy Spirit's role in an unrepentant Christian is to take pleasure, comfort, peace, and joy away until you're ready to receive it on God's terms. Turn back to Daniel chapter 4. And I hope you can see as we look at the end of this chapter... It's not about David. It's not about Daniel. It's about our magnificent Savior. Here is a man now. By the end of this chapter, it's probably about 564 um, A.D. In other words, we're about 40 years, 41 years from the time that Daniel was taken captive and all of this roller coaster of this king seeing the truth, knowing the truth, hearing the truth, and the patience of God not to strike him dead, not to send him to hell, knowing that in his case, if I take everything he knows away from him, he will turn to me. Therefore, the kindness of God. We'll bring him to that place. We'll give him that opportunity. Verse 34 of Daniel 4. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, specifically Jesus Christ, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Peter gives us a verse in 2 Peter 3.9. Um, I have felt this week, I don't know why, like I'm more ready for heaven than I've ever felt. Like, okay, Lord, if you're coming, I'm ready. I don't know why. It's just, it's just been like a heavy feeling this week. Peter says, Jim, the Lord is, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not so slow as you understand slowness. But he's patient because he wants no one to perish. And he wants everyone to repent. So Peter is saying, be content with the timing of God because there's more Nebuchadnezzars out there. There's more Jim McDowell's out there. There's more people that need to hear the truth because you hold this book in your hand, you're a watchman. There's a sense in which God is saying to us, that extended family member, that co-worker, that classmate, if they don't repent, they're going to have to suffer for it. But if you won't tell them the truth, I'm going to hold you accountable. That's not not a club. That's a heart. That's saying that you've heard it. You know it. Share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing picture of conversion. So much of me is like Nebuchadnezzar that that I, I just so appreciate the grace in this story. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.